Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get Uniquely Yours Ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details. Hey, 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 this is NFL Hall of Famer Ray Lewis. I'm excited to announce the launch of my new podcast, Everyday Greatness. The Ray Lewis Podcast. I'll be talking with friends, family members, old teammates, athletes, celebrities, moguls. And guess what? I'll be talking to you. Listen, this is all in the search for everyday greatness. So I'm asking you to come along with me on this ride. Download new episodes of Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis Podcast, every Friday on Spotify. Apple Podcasts and on PodcastOne.com It's not what you have, it's what's inside of you that actually inspires greatness. It is May 21st. Time kind of is flying a little bit. I saw someone uh, bemoaning the fact that it was like the 87th day of March uh, the other day. And I was like, I don't know about that, man. I kind of feel like time is flying. Uh, We've got some fun stuff coming up on the forecast today. We're going to talk to Jason Fitzgerald from uh, Over the Cap. And uh, he's got a bunch of stuff that he's been working on this offseason. We're talking to him about contracts in general, the salary cap. Uh, and then a little Dak and, and Mahomes as well. And before that, we're going to do kind of a, a little preamble to it about, you know, what should you pay quarterbacks? When should you pay them? Just start that discussion. So it should be fun. Um, and then we're going to, at the end, we're going to talk about uh, the match, which is something that's live sports that we get to bet on. And it includes football players. So it'll be perfect. Uh, so with that being said, let's rock. George, I wasn't prepared for this match discussion. Now I have to go and do my like uh, do no, my no. five minute handicap here. It was it was purposeful. I want a just off the cuff because here's the <laughs> thing. Here's what I realized about this, and we'll get to it at the end after Jason leaves. But like, people are just there's not going to be a whole lot of analysis that you can do, and people are going to probably try and do a decent amount. But it's just something fun to talk about. Honestly, like who cares? <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. it's, it's just, I'm just excited to see a couple players that, you know, one that I haven't seen in a while and Peyton Manning do something other than detail and then a couple of great golfers. So that'll be fun. That's it, it, a great, and we had a discussion. What was it Monday after the pod about golf, you know, woods and, you know, Brady and, and, yep. and, uh, Michael Jordan that I thought was kind of interesting. I, it, it's funny because I didn't, um, you know, I didn't, uh, I wasn't confident enough in my viewpoint to sort of like say it on the pod, I guess. 
but I feel like I did converge to something, right? Which is that, you know, there MJ, maybe Tiger might be the closest thing to MJ, but like, he's still not close. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and how, and also I thought we, we hit on something so that the first point that you made is exactly it. But the second one that I came up with is that football is such a different sport, right? It's like, it's so hard to have that humongous, uh, you know, kind of sway over everything because of how many different players and how many different coaches there are. And, and Tom Brady, who I think is going to come up in this quarterback discussion a lot because everyone has said, well, he's, you know, been underpaid for so long, um, is, you know, is he, is he the greatest of all time? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's him and it's Montana, but none, none of those guys are, are playing defense. Right. And like, that's a huge component of the game that, you know, they just can't have as big of an impact over. It's super interesting. Well, isn't this the, the, the situation we're talking about, like the simulation and stuff. And, um, you know, the football is a, an inherently random game that the quarterback controls more than anybody, but doesn't control as much as a, as you said, a, a basketball player who's one tenth of the players on the court and plays both sides of the ball in an 82 game season consisting of, I, I got to think about a hundred, let's say ballpark, a hundred scoring plays in a game. So if you're the best, right? The, the fact that you're the best, the, the confidence intervals are going to be so, so narrow, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in quarterback play, like, and that's like why the, the Patriots deserve so much credit because, you know, you look at some of the, the, the dynasties historically, like there was a year in the Niners dynasty with Montana that they didn't even make the playoffs, you know, even though they were like 10 and six or something and they randomly didn't make it in. Uh, you know, they were a Roger Craig fumble away from making three straight Super Bowls. And like, there's just so much noise associated with that. Whereas with the Bulls, it was like, you know, basketball is the type of game that, you know, the, the churn is so high. And so, you know, you get the confidence intervals, you know, narrowing in that game. I don't know enough about golf to know if that's true about Woods. Um, but it is more individual. He's basically the only person that influences his, uh, you know, maybe other than, you know, his, his, you know, social life and things like that, but he's the only one that influences that his outcomes is golf on the noisy side, like football, or maybe on the more, uh, deterministic side, like basketball is really the question and maybe why we see such a difference in Jordan versus, uh, you know, everybody else specifically Tiger Woods. Yeah. He has the, I play on a team, but also it's a team that's small enough where one person can have that big of an impact. Whereas, you know, in golf, it's like, who cares if you're a tyrant, like you don't have, you don't have any teammates yeah. that you need to worry about. I mean, um, so it, it's very interesting. Let's talk before Jason uh, hops on here. He's coming on in about 10 minutes. Uh, about this, the concept of paying quarterbacks. We're going to talk to him about Dak and Mahomes. And the the question is, you know, should I pay this guy all the money in the world? Should I give this guy a second contract? Or should I just be trying to churn and burn? Should I be saying, look, I'm going to keep this guy for five years, but then after that, I'm going to retool. I'm going to try and find another young guy. And I'm just going to keep doing that ad nauseum. And maybe the real answer is somewhere in the middle. I think that's where I'd land. Um, what are like right now, what, what is the evolution been of this, of your understanding in this respect? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, so last year we wrote an article, you know, about 
Dak and how he shouldn't be given the max deal. Uh, and then Dak goes out and produces the the second most valuable season uh, in the league during the regular season. And so it's like, you know, what do we do here? Um, we've seen, you know, the Rams were, you know, quite good when Goff was on a rookie deal. And the first year that he's on an expensive deal, you know, they go nine and seven, they miss the playoffs, and it doesn't even look like it's getting much better for them. So the question then becomes is like, okay, is there a situation in which paying a quarterback top dollar is worth it? And we found, you know, Russell Wilson is the one that we were sort of thinking about. And now the, mm-hmm. the, the Seahawks aren't exactly a Super Bowl contender. They're a playoff contender and they do really well. Um, but what does Russell Wilson do? Russell Wilson sort of enhances those around him, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're paying the quarterback that kind of money, you, you kind of have to be at peace with him either A, making up for a bad defense, which, you know, you can't put money into, or elevating, and, and I think this is the case in, in Wilson's uh, you know, situation, elevating the receivers around him, many of whom might not be getting the highest salary, elevating an offensive line around him, many of whom might not be getting the highest salary. To me, that's kind of like, that's kind of, I think, where, uh, you know, the discussion is if he's a quarterback that elevates the play of those around him, I think he's worth it. If he's not, then it's kind of a churn and burn situation. So the question is, is, is Dak that player? Yeah. Okay. So let me play a little devil's advocate here, which would be that Jared Goff, so Jared Goff is a really interesting one because we talked about him last year and we said, hey, would we, where does he fall on this list? And to me, he felt, he fell in the, he's not good enough for me to dedicate all of this resource to. But, but you also have to look at it from what are the other resources you're, you're dedicating? And the way I, so I, I think of it and I'm like, okay, yeah, you can overpay this guy and he needs a good supporting cast to succeed. But you also need to understand what that supporting cast is. It's not like you're paying Jared Goff, you know, 40% of the cap. Like the cap is huge. And I was looking at it today and I was like, you know, the real problem is that you shouldn't be paying. And I'm just going to use Khalil Mack as an example because it'll, yeah. it'll make people mad. But like you shouldn't be paying Khalil Mack $22 million. Like if you just think about the other places where you're not getting bang for your buck, it makes it way easier to, to overpay quarterbacks a little bit, but you're still getting more from the quarterback than you are from the other positions. That's, that's kind of the point that I'm trying to make is like, it's not just the quarterback that matters. It's how you distribute the rest of your funding. hundred percent. I mean, that's, and we look, and again, this is like what the, the question is a little bit deeper, right. Than QB Mm -hmm. it's how does QB have a knockdown, a knock on effect of the rest of the players? Sure. Um, wide receiver. So if you look at if Dak Prescott's a terrific quarterback, he's going to make CD lamb on a rookie contract. Great. Right. Mm-hmm. He's going to make, um, you know, he's going to make Michael Gallup on his rookie contract. Great. And he's going to give Amari Cooper a fighting chance of being worth 20 million a year. Right. Yep. That's kind of how you have to look at it. Um, one of the things we've been doing is kind of looking at clusters of positions. So if you look at, let's say, quarterback wide receiver tight end o-line and look Mm -hmm. at how many like wins per dollar you get there there are some interesting teams that pop up that still pay their quarterback a lot take for example new orleans what does drew Brees do that makes him great (laughs) 
he turns he turns Michael Thomas into and now Michael Thomas is great. Yep. But Michael Thomas is is being talked about as is this going to be the the greatest receiver of all time? Alvin Kamara had what I if I remember correctly the most valuable running back season that we've ever seen from a war perspective. Correct. And like those those things are it's exactly what I'm talking about, right? So if you say, look, I know that this quarterback is going to have this downstream effect on my offense. I'm going to invest in my offense, but I'm going to do so intelligently. And then on the defensive side of the ball, this is where I keep getting back to the thing that you wrote about a couple months ago, which is understanding the connectedness of defense and leveraging that to your benefit can save you a ton of money so that you're not investing in these hugely high-priced singular defensive players. So I was on your buddy Seren's show Yesterday evening. And by the way, if you are a Chiefs fan, if you enjoy listening to like talk radio, if that's your thing, Seren Petro is awesome. That <laughs> He's really is, good at it. He, he, you could talk football. We talked about basketball for a lot of the show yeah. um, yesterday. I mean, he knows a ton, but he, you know, was mentioning the whole like Frank Clark thing. And I was like, that is a great example of when you look back on the, on this five years from now and you go, what was really going to generate value for the Kansas City Chiefs? Frank Clark is going to be way down the list. But when you look at what you're paying him, he's going to be way up the list. And that's what you have to avoid. Yeah. The Chiefs were the sixth worst team in the NFL last year in terms of war per dollar um, on the defensive line. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, right. and so that, like to finish the discussion of Breeze, right? Breeze makes his offensive line better, right? Brady makes his offensive line better. So there are five guys on your offense. That's five elevenths of your offense that you need to play well, that your quarterback manufactures solid play out of, and hence you don't have to dump money into that, right? Mm -hmm. Like to me, right, and Michael Thomas, the, the Saints last season had zero wide receivers besides Michael Thomas who caught passes for more than 500 yards. And they were still 13 and three, right? And then granted, their defense is pretty good. Um, but, you know, and, and we, I always think about like back in the day, like Packers when they had Aaron Rodgers and their defense was horrendous uh, personnel wise. And, but they were somehow, they keep it together and then Rodgers would get hurt. And then they all of a sudden be like, what's wrong with the defense? Well, it's like, well, your defense can play aggressively when they know that their quarterback is going to score and match every score that the other team has, right? Mm -hmm. You have to play timidly if you don't think that your offense can produce 17 points in a game, right? Every mistake you make is magnified. The quarterback has this knockdown effect on every single position group. And that's why, like, that's that's how you got to look at it, right? So the question becomes like, okay, if I'm Dallas and I look at Dak, is my defense playing balls to the wall because they know, hey, if I give up an 80-yard touchdown over the top, Dak's got my back, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are they playing, are, you know, is the offensive line, are you allowed, like when, you, when Travis Frederick retires, right? Are you saying to yourself, well, we got to go out and get a, an absolute hoss to play center and we got to pay him for it. Or do you say to yourself, well, no, Dax, he's in his fifth year now. He's going to figure out protections mm -hmm. and we can put Austin Ryder in there in the case of Kansas City. You know, I think all those things are true about Mahomes. I think all those things are true about uh, Russell Wilson. They were true about Brady. Breeze, right? All the quarterbacks that we think of as being elite, sure. Like that's it, where the hidden thing is. Dak is a question mark. I, I'm not sure. Like I, I question, think Dak's though. great. Yeah. Here's here's the one that I want to look at uh, is San Francisco and Minnesota, who 
if you look at the clustering of the receivers, their tight ends and their offensive line and their running backs with the quarterback, they're a team that went to the Super Bowl last year, but their war per dollar on the offensive side was actually lower than the Patriots. And I, I'm not going to sit here and argue as much as I love Jimmy G. I'm not going to sit here and argue that like the defense is out there playing better because they've got Jimmy G who's got their back and they've got Kyle Shanahan. Maybe that, that actually has an impact, right? Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan have their back. But that is where it gets dicey. And you look at Kirk Cousins, you look at Jimmy G. To me, that's way more analogous to what the decision is with Dak. And to say like, okay, is that the guy that I am willing to pay this amount of money because now you've narrowed the the margin of th- that you have. You cannot you cannot have these missteps. You cannot overpay players that don't have a big impact on winning if you have one of those guys because they're just simply not going to produce as many wins above replacement as those truly elite guys. So I mean, as we wait for for Jason to hop on here, right now. You have to pay a Dak, a Kirk Cousins, a Jimmy G, and pay them like a top ten guy or a top, you know, six seven guy. Would you do it? Uh, yes. Here's why. It there's enough players on rookie deals on that offense, and there's enough, I think, of a understanding by Mike McCarthy. Like him saying that they have to win by scoring 35 points a game was like the best quote of the entire offseason <laughs> in my estimation. I looked at, you know, I when I was looking at this, looking at war, but I also looked at war coach plus quarterback. And Dak's war, when you incorporated Garrett's decision-making, went down like half a win. And he was still <laughs> the most efficient player in terms of turning APY into war last year. Mm-hmm. Um there's a big unknown that's associated. I think that the positive outcome that the unknown of Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore and CeeDee Lamb uh, uh, brings to that team outweighs the negative of having to like tear it down and start over at quarterback. So I agree with you. And, and here's what I'd say. Jason's coming on now. This is about maximizing your opportunity to win football games that possibly win Super Bowls. And you can still be, it's easier to be smart in those other situations than it is to hit on another quarterback, right? Once you have a guy that can get you a top 10 performance and your offense can be top, you know, six, seven in a year, if you combine the coach, it's easier to make smart decisions elsewhere than it is to go out and hit on a quarterback again that can get you to that level. Um, Jason, brother, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you, George. How's it going, man? Uh, pretty good. You are uh, a, a Jets fan. And you're in New York, so I got to start by asking you, are you safe and healthy, and, and how's everything going over there? Yeah, we're, we're good. We're, uh, our family is, is actually in the, on the Jersey side, so we're all, all the same. On the, yeah, <laughs> so we're on a little bit on the outside of, uh, of where everything has gotten really bad in the, uh, you know, that Bergen-Hudson County area. Yeah, it's um, it's scary stuff, man. I'm here in in D.C. and this is actually really interesting. This morning, my girlfriend asked if I would be amenable to going wine tasting this uh, this weekend, and I like almost fainted. I was like, "What are you talking about?" Apparently, 
there are places that are opening up outside with these like six foot, you know, radii tables or whatever. And you can order ahead and you pick it up and it's contactless and all this stuff. And I got to say, would you be wearing one of those, like um, those inner tubes? It's like the three feet on each side. Look, I love wine and I wanted to open up uh, having Jason on here by talking a little bit about alcoholic beverages because he is an aficionado himself. I love wine as much as I would love to drink it in 80 degree weather outside. I am hesitant to uh, to risk it. man. Yeah, I don't blame you. I, I'd be uh, I'd be the same way. And I'm sure we'll have those discussions coming up in New Jersey pretty soon, too. We're uh, oh, we're still pretty much completely locked down here, but they're starting to uh, lighten up the regulations a little bit. I was listening to a couple of your podcasts, and, and if you are listening and you haven't checked out Jason or OverTheCap.com over the, or those podcasts that you have, you certainly should because if you want to know anything about the way the salary cap works, that's the number one place to go to. And you opened up uh, one of your podcasts talking about some beer. And that's one of the ways that we like whenever we have someone come on the podcast, I, I like to ask you, what is your drink of choice? So I'm guessing you're going to give me a very snobby beer response, but I'm going to ask anyways, what's uh, your drink of choice? Well, it, pretty much my fallback beer. And most people who listen to the podcast will know it. The, the Dogfish Head 60 Minute IPA is pretty much always going to be my, uh, my fallback. Uh, the Southern Tier 2X is really good. Uh, I also like Southern Tier's uh, Christmas Ale, if I can usually find that one. Um, you know, and obviously there's a bunch of different IPAs out there that are pretty good that I like. But uh, the Dogfish Head is the fallback one for me all, pretty much all the time. You mentioned a beer George that doesn't I actually drink beer, know. So he has, to, he has to know that that's a good choice. Uh, yeah, and I will tell go. him that as somebody who drinks <laughs> beer. <laughs> no, it's funny. I, when I was expecting you to say the name of a beer that I just was going to have no clue about. I was kind of thinking that you might say monkish because that's a popular one that I've heard and our buddy Rick Drummond drinks. But Dogfish Head, I actually knew that the uh, logo there, it's like a shark, right? Yeah, pretty much. So there you go. I, I'm, I, I don't feel like a complete... Uh, You're a man of the people, now. George. <laughs> and by the way, I do drink beer, but I, I will only drink really good beer. And it's usually if it's with a Mexican or a barbecue meal. That's kind of my go-to, which I think is a, a fair, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a good accompaniment. Um, Jason, tell, you know, so for people that don't kind of know the, the over the cap story, um, give us kind of a, a short rundown, a little summary of it and how you, and you know, your life is, you do a couple of different things, spend a couple of different plates, including being a Jets fan while doing salary cap analysis. Yeah, so really, it's being a Jets fan, I think, that led to doing the salary cap analysis originally. Um, there was so much talk about salary cap issues as it pertained in particular to the New York Jets. Um, I kind of like talking about that, you know, on message forums back at that point in time. You know, every team had a quote unquote cap guy that would talk a little bit about contracts. And I was one of the people that did that for the Jets. There were plenty of other people that did that too. And just kind of figured, what if I took this to the next level and really tried to break contracts down in a way that was very different than anyone else did? So we started to build these interactive tables um, that could show you salary cap numbers, dead cap numbers, if the players were going to be released. And more so than that, we kind of wrote about it. I wrote about it um, back then where you would really just talk about contract issues. And no one was really doing that at the time. 
And that started to catch the eye of a lot of uh, sports agents and it caught the eye of uh, teams as well, just because it was a very different way to analyze stuff. And so over time, I decided I would kind of branch that out, see if we could expand that to 32 NFL teams. And that's when I launched over the cap and it was way more successful than I ever thought that it would be, Um, you know, just in terms of the stuff that we do. And I think it's really kind of raised the level on the discussion when it comes to the contract side of things that really wasn't there seven, eight, nine years ago, Uh, whether that's from people reading the website or that is from reporters who have just had to up their game because there's um, more knowledge amongst fans now because of people like myself or Joel Corey, who writes for CBS sports. Um, and that, that's pretty much what we do. I mean, we, we talk about the salary cap. We educate about the salary cap. We have a lot of numbers there about contracts, um, whatever we can find, whatever we can piece together on contract numbers. Uh, on the back end side, you know, we, we do consulting um, both on the team end and more so on the agent end. Um, just for building different things and different kind of tools and different ways to analyze things and looking at teams in the future and in the present um, and just trying to educate a little bit more and get people to, you know, kind of, kind of engage with this aspect of the NFL, the way that they're kind of gauging as well with the analytics side and how you can kind of merge some of those things together, which is kind of probably the next generation of where football I would think is going to be headed. Yeah, I mean, you, you bring up such a good point about the fact, you know, it, it, it was amusing once when we were watching the, um, I think it was the free agency, right, George? And last mm-hmm. season when the NFL Network, which, you know, in theory has access to all this information, was citing over the cap for most yeah. of the contract <laughs> information. And it is amazing where, you know, the the conversation has gone. You know, we've... <clears throat> You know, it's it's exactly as you said, you know, the average football fan just knows so much more, uh, you know, than they did 10 years ago. And I think you guys are such a, you know, one of the one of the biggest reasons why. And it's and it's and it's great. And, and it, you know, we're leading to more, you know, I think leading to more efficiency, but then at the same time leading to more innovation because teams have to start doing things differently if they want to have an edge. Well, yeah, absolutely. I, you said like the analytics side of things, and it's it's so it's you're spot on. People are um, inherently scared of when you bring a bunch of numbers into things, and it's one of the questions that I kind of have with um, with both analytics and the salary cap. And I'm curious what your answer to this question would be. Is it made and you can, you can probably hear the sirens here. I'm on 16th Street, which just happens to be a hotbed of activity uh, a couple blocks from the, uh, from the White House. So um, bear with me here. But would you say that salary cap analysis or maybe the way that contracts are reported or the way that maybe teams talk about them is needlessly complex and that drives people away from wanting to engage with it? I think so. Um, definitely in the past, that was absolutely the case. You know, if you, if you go back to the 2000s, uh, when people would talk about the salary cap, they thought you had to be you know, Albert Einstein to understand it. They thought you had to be a wizard with numbers to somehow um, figure out these rules. And, and the rules were a little bit more complex then. But for the most part, it's really just an accounting system. So if you can do enough math to do accounting, um, you can pretty much figure out the math of a salary cap. Um, so that, that part really isn't too difficult, but I, I do think there's a tendency for 
um, both agents and teams to make it sound really, really, really complicated. And I think a lot of times then when bigger media people talk about it, they really make it sound complex to make it sound like it was just all these crazy factors that went into getting a deal done. And most of the time, it's not as nearly as complicated as the way that it's made out to be. Well, if you were talking, so say, you know, someone came in and said, look, I know nothing about it. Give me like the three things that I should always pay attention to, or maybe it's just two. What would those, what are the things that you look at first that you say, look, these are the huge major tenants of any contract um, or any salary cap negotiation? So uh, for me, the the first thing that I would look at, and this has changed over the years, um, but really I just look at the cash components of the NFL contract as they come in. Mm-hmm. Um, cash is king in the NFL. The way that that cash breaks down is really what's going to drive if you've got a bargain on the deal or if you don't have a bargain on the contract, really what the effective length of that contract is going to be, what kind of dead money um, that you're looking at carrying for the player if the player doesn't live up to the deal and you have to release him. Uh, to me, that's the most important thing to look at is the way the cash breaks down year by year, not just you know overall. What's the cash looking like in year one? Then what's it look like in year two, year three, year four, year five? Um, the second thing that I'll usually look at is a signing bonus that's attributed to the contract. Um, or any kind of prorated money in in the event that a team also uses some other bonuses that uh, spread out over the deal. That gives you an idea as to how they're trying to kind of manipulate the numbers um, and what the the cost of that could be in the future uh, if the the players don't work out. And then the third thing, just because people like to talk about it, and obviously it's what drives the year-by-year decisions, is those salary cap numbers themselves, just kind of how they fluctuate in there. And that's probably the third thing. that I look at. And I think if you can combine those three things um, as well as some other factors where you start looking at the player's age and uh, positions that they play, you can start to get an idea of how many years that player is probably going to actually be on that contract okay. right. for um, the minute they sign it. You know, everyone signs these big five-year deals. The majority of players are gone after the third year. Many of them don't even make it to the third year. And you can start to get an idea for that just based on the way the contracts are designed. Well, it, it brings us it up where I think, you know, the, the, the cool thing about football, but, you know, when you talk about like looking at the analytics, like, you know, you break it down by subsets of things and, you know, and, and how a guy does in this scheme might be different than how a guy does in that scheme. And that's what makes the salary cap analysis so much so interesting as well, because as you said, the, you know, a, a contract isn't just APY, a contract isn't just you know, cash flows per year, or, you know, cap number, right? It's how the puzzle pieces fit together. And that's a, you know, a multidimensional problem that I think, like, that's where I think people get, you know, the idea that it's extremely complicated because, you know, you might be trying to fit, you know, this guy in on sort of a, a you know, backloaded deal and this guy in on a front loaded, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's not as simple as just like taking the cap, the two cap hits in one year and dividing by whatever, you know, it, it's, it's truly a, a, a problem that requires a decent amount of, you know, understanding of, you know, how a team's approaching things, even, even if the assumption that they're approaching things logically isn't true. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot that goes into it. And I think the other thing that does confuse people where you bring that up, there's 32 different teams. And of those 32 different teams, you get a lot of different approaches to the way that they handle the salary cap. You know, teams have different tendencies. Teams have different things they do. You have to know that when you negotiate with the team. You have to know that when you're analyzing the team's salary cap structure. You know, if, it, if a team doesn't go into free agency um, very often, 
uh, you know, the, the Packers do now, but the Packers didn't for many years. The Pittsburgh Steelers usually don't sign too many players in free agency. They don't need to have millions and millions and millions of cap space every year because they're not going to use it on those players. They just have to make sure that their cap can adjust for the extensions that are going to come up for the players that they have. So it's almost like a case by case basis based on where the roster is at that specific point in time. Um, you know, how you view it. It's not one size fits all. And a lot of people think it's a one size fits all equation and it's really not. Yeah. It was so funny. Like you look at like Tampa Bay, for example, doesn't give out signing bonuses. Right. And it's just (laughs) like, you know, when you negotiate with them, like you just, it's like probably a non-starter for almost all players. Yeah. Yeah. You just don't even go in there and ask for it. Same thing with San Francisco. Um, San Francisco does things where everyone has to have per game bonuses. Everyone has to have workout money. And they don't do guarantees that vest until April 1st of the following year. And so those are all just non-starters. You don't go in there and say, well, I want my guy's salary to guarantee in February. I just say, we don't do that. And that's the end of the discussion. This is a great question. So who would you say, and I think I'm asking this because I'm, I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan. And I'm hoping this is your answer. But who's the best uh, contract negotiating team? In the NFL, I think the three best teams right now are the 49ers, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the um, Minnesota Vikings. Uh, in some order, that's there. I'd probably lean towards San Francisco as being the best Correct. in terms of um, how they do their contracts, the way that they kind of plan overall with them, uh, the way that they structure the deals. It's very team friendly. Um, Philadelphia, I think, maybe has a better overall front office, a better overall grand scheme of things picture uh but just on a, a pure contract basis san francisco is probably the team what and yeah go ahead i was gonna say did, you know unpack that a little bit for you know some people who don't understand what you mean by that what are and, and maybe you you know jimmy g's contract was obviously one that is you've been talked about a lot and is coming up again because of DAC. what are some of the things that they do that are different that really make their contract structure smart um, so one of the things that you just mentioned with Garoppolo there, you know, there's different ways, you know, where Eric was talking about the, um, the way that the teams can structure the deals and how backloaded, frontloaded. And sometimes you have to kind of get those cap hits to go with your expectations, maybe for a team. Uh-huh. And I think with Garoppolo, Garoppolo in particular, looking at, they realize we've got to overpay to keep the quarterback, you know, Garoppolo had had five starts, seven starts, whatever the number was when they made him the highest paid player in the NFL. Um, You know, he held that distinction for probably about a week, but he had that distinction. So they said, well, what's the best way to handle this? Let's take a $37 million cap charge in the first year. Um, We have cap space. We're probably not competing for a championship this year. If we get 37 million out of the way, that'll bring his average over the next couple of years, probably down to say 24 million we can be more competitive that way. Um, The other thing that they do is the way that the contracts are structured there. There's always kind of late decision points for them. So they can watch free agency unfold and they can sign a better player or they can watch all the money around the league dry up and they can go to a player on the roster and either cut them or tell them, look, if you don't take a pay cut, and, you know, we're going to gain more cap space and we're going to gain more on our budget with that. We're just going to cut you. Uh-huh. And because we're already talking about April, teams have already used up their budget around the NFL. So the players kind of end up backed into yeah. a corner to where if they're going to remain on the deal, they pretty much have to take it. They have to take that pay cut. And that, that's it's yeah, just that's a really great smart. way that they do it. 
Yeah, the Garoppolo deal is, it's almost, you know, when they signed it, I, I was really excited by it for the reasons that you just mentioned. But I think there's a lot of hesitancy. It's like, well, I don't want to be the team that gives, that's paying a guy $37 million this year. It's like, who cares about that? You got to care about the things that really matter. And if you can, if you can pay a quarterback an average of 24 per year, and, and Eric and I were just having this conversation, like maybe you slightly overpay you know, market value wise, but you're slightly overpaying for based on the market, but you're underpaying based on what you're getting in return because the quarterback is so valuable and you just have to make smart decisions elsewhere. Yeah. And and that's the part that, you know, I think some teams do mess up, but it's such a smart strategy, especially if you can execute it. I mean, the, the tricky thing is deciding it, whether or not the quarterback became worthy of you paying a lot of money to based upon things that are lucky. And because the, the issue is, is that, you know, you're just going to be, when you, when you buy into a quarterback, you're going to be short stacked the rest of your poker game. Right. And if, if you don't have them, if you don't have means to get quote lucky again, you know, like say Dallas, if, if Michael Gallup and CD lamb stink, right. And the offensive lineman that they bring in to replace, you know, Travis Frederick to be, you know, and, and the, the, you know, if Trayvon Diggs stinks in Byron Jones instead, like it's going to make the Dak, everybody's going to shine a light on Dak and say, Hey, your contract is the reason we suck. And, Mm -hmm. you know, when it's probably not fair and it probably wasn't fair for Dak to, you know, get as much credit as he got on the rookie deal because they were able to surround him with, you know, talent and, and, you know, high price talents on the roster, but that's kind of the calculus, right? And, and to San Francisco's credit with, with Garoppolo, when he got hurt, that was okay. Let's go four and 12, get the second overall pick, get a great value with Joey or Nick Bosa. And now he's a reasonable charge and they hit on Debo Samuel. They hit on George Kittle, all of them, you know, relatively cheap. Uh, and that's really where, like, if you're going to pay a quarterback top dollar, you need the knock, you know, you need the effects downstream to be, uh, you know, a value and a plus value. Yeah. The, the other thing too, is you have to understand the timing of it. Um, you know, contracts are always moving. Contracts are always changing. Uh, you know, years ago when Eli Manning became the highest paid player in the NFL at 16 million, you know, 16 and a half million to show how, how far things have gone in you know, the last 10 years or so within three years, you can argue the, the, the effectiveness of an Eli Manning, but within three years, the big contracts that were signed by him, Rivers and Roethlisberger look like bargains. They signed six yep. year deals at 16 million. And in the blink of an eye, it was $20 million a season. Um, one of the reasons I'm sure San Francisco did the deal uh, when they did it with Garoppolo was the worry that Kirk cousins, I think was going to hit free agency that year. So you just worry about how might things change? Um, the Eagles with Carson Wentz, the Rams with Jared Goff. One of the reasons they probably did those deals when they did the fear of what's going to happen with Dallas and Dak Prescott. If uh, a later round pick who has really had no playoff success gets $35 million a year, well, now we're going to have to pay 37 for our guys who are the number one or number two pick have gotten Mm -hmm. teams to a Super Bowl, even if they haven't necessarily been that successful. Uh, Other than that, um, 
you know, and that changes things. So at that point, it's like, well, I haggle over a million bucks a year, just sign them for 32, 33 million, get it out of the way. We're not going to worry about it as much two, three years from now. And that's one of the things where Dallas probably missed the boat a little bit by not getting Prescott done earlier. Um, just because they probably could have gotten him done at the same time Wentz and those guys got finished and that they probably would have had an easier time, I think, getting him at that $31 million number, which is probably what they wanted. What do you think? So if we look at Dak and what might happen, is looking at the Garoppolo contract a a reasonable way to, to think about how Dallas might try and attack Dak or is it going to be too hard because Dak has already has made a claim that, hey, I'm better than that, and I, I deserve more a little more respect than that? I think the market has changed enough to where they probably won't be able to do anything that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he would also be able to lean on the fact that he has more years of experience actually playing than Garoppolo did at the time. Uh, the closest comparable, I, I would say, that he's going to be bringing up is Kirk Cousins, and Cousins' contract right now is, I think, 33 a year. Um, it's a short-term extension, so maybe they view that as like a five-year deal going back to his original contract. It, that makes it about $30 million a season. Um, I'm sure they're going to look at this and say Prescott's had more success than Kirk Cousins, uh, <laughs> but a little bit of a higher-powered offense there in Dallas. Um, he came out of Washington, you know, not really having done much. They're basically seven and nine kind of team most seasons. And so at the very least, he needs to be worth more than that. Um, so I, I think that's probably more along the lines of what they're looking at um, as kind of a comparable that's there. And then it's up to Dallas, I think, as to how they structure that deal. If I was Dallas, I would probably look at the Garoppolo deal as a good way to structure it. Um, I think with players like Prescott, you want to have the maximum flexibility possible to where if two years down the line, he doesn't take that next step that you're hoping he takes that you can walk away from him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dallas hasn't really done anything to kind of stack the cupboard behind him um, to, to kind of get a look at other quarterbacks that might be able to be effective in their system. Um, but maybe next year is the time to start doing that. And you start kind of, I don't know, kind of, kind of mitigating that risk a little bit of the big deal by, you know, getting someone behind him that can maybe jump in there two years from now, three years from now. Well, and they, they also have, I mean, they've invested in a lot of other players and this is where I would say, look, the problem is not haggling Dak Prescott over a few million or, or even a year, which I know is one of the things that Dak, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't want that fifth year where you could have really saved yourself is not over investing in some of these ancillary pieces like an Ezekiel Elliott, for example, who Jalen Smith. Yeah. Jalen Smith. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence is making an absolute ton of money. And I look at, I look at Lawrence, I look at Frank Clark and you say, look, you're paying these guys, you know, two thirds of what you're paying some of the top quarterbacks in the league. You're not getting two thirds of the value that you're getting from those top quarterbacks. Um, So it's going to be interesting. Do you think, do you think the year, the years is ultimately the sticking point between the two of them right now? It might be. Um, there have been players who've had these four-year contracts for some period of time. Uh, we kind of talk about it as a new thing, but in part, it's really only new because of the Winston Goff contracts. You know, Russell Wilson has had two four-year deals now. That's just the Seattle Seahawks thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Ryan Tannehills of the world getting a four-year deal. The, the kind of plus 30 category quarterbacks have kind of always been in that uh in that area anyway. Um, so that, that, 
I mean, it's probably a minor part of it, but I, I think the bigger part of it is they're kind of looking for him to be the highest paid player in the NFL. And Dallas probably has a hesitancy to do that. Um, you know, it, it's kind of strange the, the way things work in the NFL. It was different a um, long time ago. Not so much now. A lot of teams are kind of afraid to be the first. But once somebody does it, then teams have no problems, uh, you know, jumping past it. It's like Todd Gurley and the Rams for years, running backs, couldn't get a contract, couldn't get a contract, couldn't get a contract. The Rams were relatively respectable for an office. They say, okay, we'll do the contract for a running back. Next thing you know, David Johnson's got a big contract. Le'Veon Bell's got a big contract. Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey. And it's like everyone has just thrown out 10 years of uh, data and kind of pushing down on these running back contracts because one team did. It's like, all right, they did it. We can do it too. Um, So I think sometimes that comes into play. And it's very hard to make a case that Prescott, I think, is better than Russell Wilson, who right now is the top paid guy. Um, So I I think it's hard for them to probably justify in their heads jumping over Wilson in a uh, reasonable contract offer. It's it's hard for me to justify that in my head too. <laughs> um, what about what about uh, Eric's guy? Are you wearing a Chiefs shirt right now? I can never tell. I can see that it's red. I don't know if it's actually. No, it's the San Antonio Commanders of the AAF, which I know Jason's a big fan of the spring leagues as well. So I figured we would. Uh, I, yeah, I, I would I, I'm I'm happy that there's this rumor at least that the XFL could be coming back in some way, yeah. shape, or form. And a d- dirty business if that's the way that it happened. But uh, I'll be happy yeah, for uh, more spring football. I saw your tweet. But, it's like how shady, you know, it's like, I, I, I hope it's not true for the morals of it, but I hope it's true because I want to see spring football, though we might get spring college football next year. Who knows? Yeah, that's as, true. As football fans, I think we're, we're put in that moral dilemma like every day, right? With what we're rooting for. Um, but, uh, but Mahomes is interesting. And I, you know, I've heard a lot of people posit a ton of different theories on this. Um, what are some of the dominoes that, that need to fall from Mahomes, and what do you think ultimately um, gets done there in Kansas City? Uh, I think it'll that'll be a four year kind of contract. I think that they will probably look to hit that forty million dollar a year mark. Um, I don't know how much pushback Kansas City is going to give on that. I, I wouldn't think too much. Um, you know, he, he's top quarterback in the NFL. Um, there's probably a pretty big gap between him and the next closest person. You, you don't want to go in there with really with almost any quarterback, but certainly a player like that. There's really no need to fight over those numbers unless they're just asking for something that's, you know, so crazy, you know, 50 million a year would be crazy. But if they're looking for something that's a $5 million a year increase over Wilson, um, I, I don't really see what the hang up would be in doing something like that. Um, might it be a when was the last it what that is so you you wrote a really good article looking at this what would that be comparable to like how often do we see that kind of a jump happen Uh, gosh i'm trying to think back um andrew luck jumped by about two and a half i think uh per year over um Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers was the guy that really capped things off. Rodgers took that deal at 22-5 years ago and you know he was basically considered the man at that point in time and every team in the NFL said you're not going to earn more than Aaron Rodgers. This guy is in his prime. He's so good. He, there's no case that you can make um, to earn more than him. Uh, but Andrew Luck was a two and a half. Um, Matt Stafford was probably two million over car maybe even three million over him um and then i'm trying to think the next jump up 
I don't remember if it was Matt Ryan. That could have been up to 30. Um, yep. You know, it, but th- there's been a couple of players that, you know, basically about two, three million a year. But Mahomes is such a special player. Um, again, if it's a, if it's going to cost you an extra two million a season, you're not going to you're not going to haggle over that. You know, it, it's just you're not doing anything to help your team by doing that. You know, if you're really worried about saving money, save your 17 million or whatever it's going to cost to keep Chris Jones this year on a franchise tag. Um you know, that there's other ways that they could have saved money if that was really the concern that they need to come up with a couple extra million bucks per year um, over the next few seasons. Your, your boy, Frank Clark, Eric. I mean, I, that, that's the thing is we we worry we about won a Super Bowl. So all is forgiven. Exactly. And and that's the tough thing, too, is you're sometimes and this is what you know, it's interesting. You didn't mention um, Bill Belichick and the Patriots earlier when we were talking and I'm curious your thoughts on how they handle things. One of the things that I always hear that makes a ton of sense is they do not pay for past performance. Now, with Patrick Mahomes, right, there's no reason to believe that his future performance won't be exceptional and worth $40 million a year. But there is this, okay, we won a Super Bowl. You were a part of a Super Bowl winning team. Like I'm going to pay you a little extra something because of that past performance, which in general is one of those ways that I was just talking about where you end up spending money on things that are worth absolutely nothing. And I feel like that probably happens way too much outside of New England. Different organization as well. Uh, it, they're a little bit harder to judge, I think, with their salary cap only because it's pretty rare that they go in there and they sign, you know, a lot of big name guys, you know, Gilmore was like an exception where they jumped in there and uh, they gave him the deal that they did. And, you know, they, they used a pretty smart strategy with him. They guaranteed him a lot of money, gave him a favorable contract structure, and they actually kept his annual value down by doing that. But for the most part, they live in that sub $5 million per year category. They go and find a bunch of guys and say, look, you're getting a little bit older. Um, you know, this is a great opportunity for you to come in and play with New England, have a chance to finally win that Super Bowl. You've made your money elsewhere. Come back and play with us. You know, how, how many times do they let a, a player like a Jamie Collins go and then bring him back? You rarely see that in the NFL. They bring him back for $10 million less than the Cleveland Browns paid him. Yeah, yeah. And then they said, <laughs> OK, go walk to Detroit and let Detroit pay $10 million more because that's not worth it for right. us. So they go and they find all these guys who were, you know, former kind of first round, second round picks that aren't bad, but didn't live up to kind of a first round status. They kind of get them at an an affordable price on a short term deal. They go and find, um, you know, older veterans in the past, you know, your Chris Long types that are really looking to win more than make money. They've made it. Um, And, you know. You go in there, the old Pat Riley thing, you, you go in there with a bunch of rings, you lay them out on the table and say, you can take this contract <laughs> and you can get one of these, or you can go somewhere else for a couple million more. And, you know, yep. that's it. You'll, you'll be home in uh, January. The, the fact that we were able to get Pat Riley and his ring negotiation tactic in this makes it one of the best podcasts we've had already. That guy is an absolute legend. Um, what, um, so, so Mahomes, if let's say he goes, you know, it's 40, four years, 40 a year, basically when we four years from now are sitting here, is that, is that still going to be the marker or, or at that point, are we saying, wow, what a, what a deal 40 for Patrick Mahomes? What do you think? 
of these guys pan out that are that are young right now you know the baker mayfield class um you know and obviously lamar jackson looks like the guy from that group right now um Mm -hmm. depending on how those guys kind of pan out you'll see how quickly um that could turn into a bargain my guess is he's so good that'll probably cap the market but there's not going to be this disparity i think it'll be the same as the aaron Rodgers time that i was talking about before where you'll basically have a whole bunch of guys that creep up to say $38 million a year, $37 million a year. And and if you have Patrick Mahomes at 40 million and for some reason, you know, Josh Allen or Sam Darnold is making 35 or $37 million a year, that's a great bargain for Kansas city. They're never going to look at that with regret. Um, You know, as long as he doesn't get injured, you, you can't control that. That's that's the one thing completely out of your control. If somebody is uh, going to get hurt, there's just nothing you can do about that. Um, but I, I think the contracts will move close enough to that to where you probably still look at that as a bargain. Um, he'd have to be so far above market right now to where people wouldn't even touch him. And I, that just doesn't happen anymore in the NFL or very rarely. And, and what about, what about the the impact? I mean, obviously we've got the pandemic right now, but you've got the TV deals coming up. Like, uh, what do if, if you're prognosticating? What do you think is happening to the cap over the next few years? You would think it would go down. Um, the way the rules are written, you know, basically they, they set the salary cap based on estimates every year, and so your estimates that would have come in for this year was really before this was even considered to be anything more than maybe a minor issue Um, certainly was not going to be something that was going to lead into um, the actual NFL season. Now where you're talking about playing in empty stadiums and you start getting into adjustments where you start having revised estimates and then your actual numbers that come in, um, you know, next January and the following March, the way the rules are written is you're supposed to have a adjustment the following year that kind of makes up for that. Um, There's a lot of teams worried about what that could be in general, I think the sides would get in there and negotiate and say, okay, if we're going to take a $90 million loss, instead of having it hit the cap in one year, let's 30 this year, 30 the following Mm -hmm. year, 30 the year after that. And I kind of think that's probably what will happen. But I I would think all this talk about these, you know, large jumps in, um, in the salary cap, I think that's pretty much going to go by the wayside at this point. And even with the TV contracts, who knows what the long, long lasting impacts are going to be on the economy. You know, if, if the advertising revenues go way, way, way down, I don't know if the television networks can justify, you know, the, the kind of increases that people were talking about before, Um, because as it is, you know, the NFL is pretty much a vehicle for them to, you know, get eyeballs on their other products. They're pretty much not making money on the NFL. Um, But if they can't, you know, if they, if they can't bring in the revenues from those other programs to, um, you know, from the, the advertisers or the advertisers that hit the Super Bowl and all that, I, I don't know if they can do the kind of increases that the NFL was planning on either. Yeah, that's such it's an interesting, that's such an interesting uh, thought. And I, and I do think you're right. I mean, I, I don't know if they just rip the Band-Aid off for one year uh, and then reevaluate. I think that would have labor implications that just I don't think the league is ready for uh, we've already had you know a number of you know discussions about you know what 2011 meant to offensive line play for example and you know having a season where you know a significant number of veterans are out of work because you know the teams can't pay them I, I can't see that being uh, you know a positive for the league 
Well, I'd almost think that there would be a bailout, right? Like before you would cut that type of, of money from it because of how important the NFL is. And, and this is one of the things I was thinking about because you brought the ad revenue and that's so if there's one place that advertisers are going to want to advertise, it's going to be NF, live NFL games, right? Because this is the thing that people are craving for. And I wonder if it's just that everything else suffers dramatically, but everyone comes to the NFL and says, okay, well, this is the one place we've got to get our name out there because this is our chance to reach this enormous group of people with some buying power. And it, it has a downstream effect, but the NFL is, is largely unhurt because of how powerful they are. I think their viewership would be unhurt. Uh, I, I think the, I guess the question that I would have is depending on the, the way things go with the economy, unemployment rates and, you know, kind of an oddball thing to be talking about on a football podcast here, but uh, it matters, you know, are, are people going to have that kind of disposable income to spend over the next two, three years? You know, I, I I don't know if that's going to be the case. Um, You know, if people are really hurting and, you know, obviously people are using up a lot of savings right now to try and get through this. Uh, How many jobs are going to be gone after this? That's probably going to impact a lot of what people can actually go out there and spend. So if the market isn't there for people to be spending money, uh, I'm not sure if the advertisers are going to go crazy. Um, You know, they're certainly going to advertise in the programs. I just don't know if they're going to pay the the kind of money that would give those huge increases in uh, revenue that they were expecting before. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a great point. And and it's something that, you know, we, it's something that, you know, we get into this rut of always believing things will go up. Um, but that's not always the case. Jason, I want to get you out of here on some quick hitters. Uh, I've got a few here. The first is what's, um, everyone's talking about Dak and Mahomes incessantly. What's a, what's a contract storyline that, uh, is, is flying under the radar that we should be talking more about. talking about here if i think if teams don't get any kind of direction as to what the salary cap is going to be next year they're going to have to start planning for that in august and the way that you start doing that are those veterans who probably kind of questionable performers you would say you know what we're willing to keep them for seven million this year they they'll probably give us a little bit better better chance than the unknown rookie that's coming in if you're looking at a a a decrease in revenues, a significant decrease in revenues, and you're not going to be bringing the money in to pay those players. And you're also planning for salary cap next year and you want to maximize your carryover. You may see a lot of those veterans hit the street um, just because they make so much money. And I think most people are just looking at 2021 as saying, all right, well, who's going to be the big purge of the roster in 2021? From a planning perspective, that needs to start in August and it needs to start right at the beginning of camp because you don't want guys getting hurt in camp to where you're obligated to pay them for the season. And you may just start cutting ties on players that um, are kind of questionable on the roster who are veterans. That, that's such a great point. I, I'm thinking also, you know, if they have to expand rosters for, uh, you know, the pandemic, let's say they, they make an exemption this year and their rosters are 60 players deep just to deal with those possibilities. The, the higher priced veterans, I think the marginal value of them is going to go down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the, the, the more bodies and stuff that you can have there, uh, that's going to drive that down. And, you know, on top of that, if you expand rosters, that's also expanding the amount of money that you're paying for right. those those players. You know, it's a practice squad player makes around one hundred fifty thousand a year. Um, 
600,000 a year to keep just a, a rookie on the team, you know, an undrafted rookie is 600. So yeah, that, that would also have uh, big impacts overall on, on teams, you know, e- even with the CBA where they increase the, um, the, uh, the salaries by a hundred thousand dollars or $90,000, the minimums, depending on where you were. I know there were a couple of teams that generally would be considered the lower spending teams in the NFL, you know, the Indianapolis Colts, the Houston Texans, where just that increase alone, they said, you know, that, that, really hurts us with budgeting process because now we have an extra $3 million we're going to be paying to players that, you know, we didn't think we were going to have to pay to them before. Um, okay. And then last one, uh, your, the, the best contract and the worst contract right now in the NFL. Oh gosh, that's a tough one. Uh, best contract in the NFL is, Oh boy, who would be the best contract? Man, that that is a really tough one. It's probably the Richard Sherman deal. Oh. Um they 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 did a deal with him that I thought was real they they really took advantage of him at the time when they did that. Um he was given no upside in that contract at all. You know, this from a team perspective, obviously. Uh he was really given very limited upside. Um he did reach a bunch of those incentives this year to reach them. You know, he basically had to play out of his mind. Uh, if he had taken the type of contract that most would have expected, which would have been a one year kind of prove it deal, he would have gone back in the market and probably been making 14, $15 million a year instead of playing at nine or 10 right now. Um, you know, as for the worst deal, uh, now that Joe Flacco is gone, I can't fall back on that one. You know, Joe, Joe Flacco is always <laughs> the, uh, the fallback for, um, Many, many, many years. Uh, you know, San Francisco had a disaster of a contract as well with McKinnon. Um, yep. The Rams. Gonna, with, we got to have some running backs in here at some point. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, a lot of those guys have been cut. You know, the Rams with Gurley, and um, you know, th- those are all those were all kind of questionable deals when they got signed. You know, uh, David Johnson's deal is probably the worst in the NFL. Still, um, he's moved teams now, but the contract still remains. Um, and somehow the the Texans valued him with that contract. Oh, that that that's one of the worst trades I've ever seen. It made I no mean, sense at all. It's like if, if you wanted to shed salary for DeAndre Hopkins, you didn't think you were going to resign him, and it was just going to create a bad locker room situation. Okay, fine, you trade him, bring back a second round pick, whatever it is. Yeah. Why would you bring back you know twelve, thirteen million dollars in salary for? another running back it's, it it's no asinine. sense at all i honestly no I, I said this i was like if you were trying to trade me todd Gurley, leonard fournette david johnson i would say okay are you giving me a first as well like what am i getting to take on this massive chain right. ball and chain that you're you're shifting over to me like this is a burden I don't want this. Well, when I, that deal came down, that was my thought. I said, okay, you know what? I said the, the Cardinals either picked up all the salary for David Johnson, so they're just mm-hmm. taking a flyer on a player who's cheap, or they're going to give them like a first round and a third round pick, you know, because they're, oh. they're taking him off your hands, <laughs> plus they're getting DeAndre Hopkins. And instead, it, it just wasn't that at all. It was just uh, just an awful, awful, awful trade. Uh, apparently this is uh, breaking right now per our friend at NBC, Chris Sims, uh, that the Cowboys offered Dak a five-year, $175 million deal, pays him $35 million annually, making him the highest paid quarterback ever. And Dak reportedly wants north of 45 in that last year. Um, what's your reaction to that? Um, I, I, 
I think Dallas would do that. I mean, if uh, if you're talking about 45 in that last year, that means the annual value over the four year deal, the four years of it, which is really the meat of the contract, uh-huh. is actually going to be lower. Uh-huh. Um, that last year, you know, if he's good, you're going to extend him anyway. If he stinks, you're going to cut him. So uh-huh. you don't really care about that. So I would think if that's accurate, I, I would think that Dallas would probably do that deal in a heartbeat because a, a player really a player should be looking at it in the opposite direction. They should be looking to get as much up front as possible, um, not throw money in the back end to do that. Uh, I mean, it gives you a little protection with the franchise tag, uh, just based on the way rules go, if he was to be franchised again. Um, but that's kind of surprising. I, I would think that uh, I would think Dallas would take that if that was, if that was a counter um, I, I would think Dallas would probably take something like that. Yeah. It's interesting. I I thought the same thing, which is I would just be wanting more early. Um, But uh, that's what it is. And we'll see where this thing goes. Jason, uh, this was awesome. I had a blast. We'll have to have you on here again. In the meantime, anyone out there that's listening that does not use overthecap.com, you're missing out. You can also follow Jason. It's at Jason OTC. Is that right? Uh, Underscore OTC. Underscore OTC. Yeah, we'll figure it out. And your, uh, your podcasts are great. You've been going deep dives on teams, which have been awesome. Um, overthecap.com. We use it at PFF uh, for all the contract stuff. It's, it's fantastic. You can have a blast there. You've got nothing to do. So you might as well learn something about the cap and your team. Uh, Jason, enjoy the fine beers, my man, and stay I healthy. I will try and do that. All right, guys. You be well. Thanks. Take care, Jason. Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap. Man, is awesome. He's been to... Uh, He's been to Cincy. He's visited us. We took him out uh, to dinner, had a blast, talked about the Jets a lot. Poor guy. I didn't want to burden him by talking about the Jets too much there. Um, they do They do a great thing where uh, at Tulane Law School, every, every January, they have a competition where you have a team side and, a, and an agent side. And you get these, you know, upcoming lawyers, um, you know, haggling over deals. And Jason's one of the, the architects of that, which is pretty awesome and you know the um you know just the the in, inroads that he's made I, I think it's important like just to point out that you know where we were discussing football you know 10 years ago and obviously pff's a big part of that but uh otc and and things like that i think the average football fan is just so much smarter as a result oh it's um that, that's a great point and uh he is What's cool about, you know, Jason, what Jason did with, with OTC is similar um, to PFF story too, which I, which I think is cool. Real, real quick. I want to talk about the match um, here at the end. Uh, Do you have any big takeaway from what Jason said? No, I, you know, I think, um, you know, he, he makes a lot of sense about the quarter, you know, it's always so funny when, when, you know, the, the thing was, you know, what's an increase in, in APY for the next best quarterback. And you said like two and a half million, it doesn't seem like that much, but from a team commitment standpoint, you know, it's, it's not trivial at all. And, and, uh, you know, the, the, the funniest thing at the end was it's, it's really easy to find bad contracts. It's hard to find really good contracts. And that might be always something that a team uh, might want to take with them as they, you know, sort of build their squad. I'm uh, I'm letting people know that we were talking to Jason uh, about the the DAC thing and retweeting that. Um, so go listen to it, um, people that aren't listening right now. Uh, that was stupid. Uh, the match. What what are your thoughts here? Give me your. You don't play a lot of golf. 
You know these guys as football players, Brady and Manning. Um, Manning and Woods are pretty heavy favorites. Last I checked, they were uh, minus 200, and Mickelson and Brady were about plus 185. Mickelson beat Woods, right, one-on-one? In the the match, uh, the prior match, which was just them, yeah. And that he was like a basically the same underdog. Maybe he was more like 140. Mm-hmm. What was he? Yeah. Yeah, it was closer. I mean, I think the only bet you can make is the dog here, right? I, I am right there with you. The idea that, that Manning and Woods are that heavy of a favorite is ridiculous to me. Now, the one thing is that it's at Tiger's home course. And I've, got, I've heard stories that Tiger has shot. Like he just destroys practice rounds on this course. I believe he designed it as well. I might be wrong there. So like that's the one kicker, but I'll get back to this. It's going to be a casual environment. You talked about Tiger's killer mentality in a casual environment where there's, there's fun, there's gambling, there's going to be IFBs in their ear so that the director, the producer can talk to the players and they can hear the announcers. To me, that sounds like what Phil Mickelson does every day. So uh, I will take the underdog. Um, I also enjoy rooting for Brady against Manning. Um, so so that's what I'm going to do. Hey, Manning, who we once shared dinner like that's five true. feet from. That, that, uh, was, that was an incredible moment. <laughs> I, I didn't know who he was because there was somebody that you were like, look who that is. I'm like, there's somebody, somebody's like big head was in his way or something. <laughs> so, but yeah, Peyton, Peyton, an absolute boss coming in through the, the back door is sitting down in the, in the corner. That was, that was a great place. We saw two of there as well. And he ended up, you know, that was where he ended up getting drafted. So I still want to know. So I think we told the story, but, but we were at, it was at Joe's famous crab or whatever in, mm-hmm. in Miami. And Peyton is there in the corner with his wife and, you know, being kind of blocked off a great table. And I really want to know who the person was. One person came in, a guy came in and joined them and Manning and his wife, Peyton and his wife were done uh, and I, I don't know her name. That's the reason I'm not mentioning it. Um, uh, we're done eating. And this guy ordered and they sat there and talked to this guy while he ate his whole meal. And I want to know who this guy is because yeah, he got Peyton Manning to just sit there and watch him eat. Yeah. It's like, it'd be like if, you know, Chris, Chris and his wife were sitting there and they were done and we came over and just like, just and, another hour and a half. Yeah, no big deal. I, and let, let's be honest, this person must have been important to Peyton because I I would not even try to do that with somebody like, you know. I, I, I don't know if it was his agent, maybe. Um, could have been. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What, what is Man? I guess Manning still has so much going on that his agent has still got to be busy. Oh, yeah. The commercials, the, the detail stuff, people trying to get him to sign um, TV contracts. Uh, absolutely. Um, I think that's all we've got for today. Uh, great podcast. Thanks to Jason Fitzgerald. We'll be back mm-hmm. on Monday. Uh, stay healthy. Thanks for tuning in. Peace out, guys.
Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get uniquely yours ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details.